to go outside downstairs, make your way out as quickly and quietly as you can. And for the rest of you, we're going to start something new today, if that's all right. Huh? <laughs> hey, I don't look that good when I fall. All right. So for... Those of you who are up here, everybody's a little rambunctious today. We have to bring it in here. Stay focused for another 20 minutes and I'll let you go out. I know some people voice that they have hate to cut. I've only got 55 minutes left, all right? Uh, I'm just kidding. So for those of you who are up here, we're going to do something new this summer. I've never done it before, all right? But we're going to try it out. And if it doesn't work this summer, we won't do it next summer. Sound good? Sound good? All right, so usually in the summer, who likes to go on vacation? I'm counting down. I don't know that I'm going to make it to August, all right? Uh, We might just have to leave early. I don't know. But I am so ready for August because in August we go to Florida, and I can't wait to soak up the sun and to get my vitamin D, you know, right there on the beach and all that. But until then, some of you are going to be in and out. Some of you are going to be traveling. Some of you are going to be vacationing. In the years past, we've read through a book together. All right, we've done different things in the summer. So what we're going to do this summer, starting today, is I've kind of opened it up to you all through our Facebook groups or Facebook page or by word of mouth, however you want to do it, to submit questions that you may have about your faith, about the Bible, about God, or, or just, just theology, or what is it that maybe, you know, keeps you questioning, or what is it that you struggle with, or what topics are difficult for you to understand, And what we're going to do is I'm going to do my best in this summertime to try and answer all of those questions, all right? So if you've submitted a question in the group, I have written all of those questions down. Some of them I'm just going to tell you now I'm not going to answer here, all right? Uh, Some of them I'm not going to answer here. I will type something up and submit it to you, okay? Um, But what I do want to do is I do want to kind of address some of the questions that we may have as Christians or just as, you know, people trying to know the Lord, people who are curious about the Bible, things that we don't quite understand. I'm going to do my best each week to put together the most scripture I can and the most, you know, supplement supplement commentary and different types of things so that in the time that we do share together, those questions can be answered to the best of our abilities. Because who here has questions? Now, one thing I was listening to Francis Chan talk about this past week was this. He said, all of us have these questions. We're going to ask God, you know, like when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him, why did this happen? I'm going to ask him. He said, but what you're going to find is when you get to heaven and you stand before him, your mouth will be shut and he will be asking questions of you. So we're going to do our best of answering these questions here and now. But ultimately, we want to use these weeks together to grow in our faith, to grow in the Word, and to grow so that you and I can be more confident when the time comes that you and I stand before the Lord, because each and every one of us will stand before the Lord. Some of us are going to be welcomed home into His presence. Some of us are going to be cast away from Him for eternity. 
So today I'm going to address the question. Again, I'm going to do it in the most timely manner I can because it is pretty outside and it's hay season and it's ragweed season and, you know, everything else out in the hay. But I do want to really address the question today, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? So there is much debate on what happens the moment after we breathe our last breath. There's many different perspectives. There's many different beliefs. There's many different ways that people will, will kind of discuss this or argue this. What happens when we breathe our last breath? You know, as I've gotten older, the more that I've done ministry, the more funerals I have unfortunately had to attend or do, the more and more, I guess, personal death becomes. Because I know I'm not old by any means, but, but at 31, I realize the people who I am preaching funerals for at one time were 31 and thought to be invincible and to live forever. And as I have four kids, you know, uh, and as they get older, I realize that I'm getting closer and closer and closer and closer every breath that I take to that moment. I hope and I pray to God to give me many years on this earth, but there's a reality that that may not come for me and it may not come for you. You know, just yesterday afternoon, Michaela and I were sitting out on the playground. I was sitting on the swing and she was sitting on the slide and our kids were somewhere around the property uh, doing something. But we were just discussing how fast the last seven years have gone. You know, it was roughly seven years ago that Michaela and I came here for the very first time. Michaela grew up in this church for many years. I visited with some buddies on random Sundays because I thought I had to be, you know, I had to have curly hair, uh, flat billed hats and show up to church once a quarter or so and keep my girlfriend focused or kind of intrigued in me. But I remember as we sat out there seven years ago and the church voted to bring me on into this position, we sat out there. The church had a little meeting right after service on that Sunday in October. I'll never forget. And I sat right out there on the same playground. And just like that, seven years later, here we are. We're sending a daughter to church camp tomorrow. She cannot wait to go. I'm dreading the fact that my daughter is now old enough to leave the house. But guess what? Before, we, before I know it, I'm going to be in my 40s. I may be into my 50s. I'm going to be into my 60s, all leading us all to one reality. Regardless of how old or young we are, all of us, unless the Lord splits the skies wide open and returns, all of us will breathe our last breath, each and every one of us. So what happens when that time comes? Before I get any further, before I actually open up to 2 Corinthians 5, to Philippians chapter 1, to Luke chapter 16, or to Matthew chapter 17, I want to re just clear the air here. There are two very distinct differences in destinations. Not everyone goes to heaven. And whenever you breathe your last breath, that is final. So what you have done up to that point in time will determine where you go for eternity. And we'll kind of discuss that here in a moment. But for those of us who abide in Christ, those of us who are born again believers and followers of Jesus, you and I will be welcomed into his presence forever. That should give you joy. Because regardless of how painful or joyful life here on earth is, there is nothing of this earth, there is no suffering or there is no goodness of this earth that can ever compare to the glories that will be revealed to us one day. One of, one of these days, we will see him illuminate the sky, just him, the son of God. There will be no need for the sun. There will be no need for anything else but to spend all of eternity forever. There is no end in his presence. 
Then there's a second destination for those of, hopefully not us, but for those that reject the gospel and reject the free gift of eternal life found in Christ, they will be destined for eternity, which means there is no end, separated from God in a place we know as hell, in which they will suffer the fullness of God's wrath, rightfully so, for all of eternity. And they will be tormented and tortured forever. They will constantly feel the voids inside of them that only the Lord can fill. In the place we know is heaven, or we call as heaven, in which one day God will make a new heaven and a new earth, and we will dwell with him forever and ever. In that place will be the fullness of joy, will be the fullness of life. In the other place we know is hell, we call hell. We don't exactly know for sure how these places look until we actually get there. We can interpret the scripture, we can debate, and we can tell stories, and we can read books, and we can watch movies. But until we really get there, we don't know. But in that place is the fullness of death, sorrow, suffering, pain. So the worst of the worst days that you've ever experienced here will never be able to compare to the pains and the sufferings of there. Just as some of the best days you've ever had here can never truly compare to the goodness that you will experience in heaven. So before we go into all the verses, let me just give you the verses I'm going to read from today. And again, there is so much more that we could debate and discuss after our time here. But I'm going to be reading Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 16. And I'm just going to briefly make mention of Matthew chapter 17. So 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians 1, Luke chapter 16, and very briefly Matthew 17. And as we go into the text and we read from God's Word, we read from the Apostle Paul and we read from the mouth of Jesus, what we are going to do is be able to answer the question, what happens when we die? So as I mentioned, there's much debate on this topic. There's much debate and there's really two main theories that people will debate or argue. There is the immediately into his presence theory and then there is the sleep theory, which people believe that when they breathe their last breath, they literally go to sleep and they remain asleep until the Lord comes on his day of return. And then those who are asleep will be raised to the Lord. So what I believe we will do today is we will look at the scriptures for themselves and allow the scriptures to teach us, not my opinion or not a movie reference or not a book that I read or that you read, but the scriptures themselves, the word, the word of God will be able to, I believe, confirm that whenever you and I breathe our last breath, we will be immediately into his presence or immediately separated from him. Now, this does not mean to me that you and I will receive our eternal inheritance in fullness and we will be judged on the day that we die because that day is to come in which he will judge the world. He will judge all of creation and then we'll make a new heaven and a new earth. But I do truly believe that the very moment a believer dies... They find themselves in his presence. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. We read the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are what? Away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be 
away from the body and what? At home with the Lord. That's where Paul would rather be. That's where I would rather be. I mean, life is good. There, there are great days in my life. There are painful days in my life. But where you and I should be spiritually, we should come to this point which we hunger for the time we are at home with the Lord. We can enjoy and cherish the life that we live here, but we should desire to truly be at home with the Lord. Now, if you read Philippians chapter 1, if you just turn a few pages over in your Bible, and read Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And I'll give you a moment to get there. The Apostle Paul wrote this, For to me, to live is what? Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two, and my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So this is the Apostle Paul again. He's talking about how if he remains in the body, if he remains alive on the earth and in his flesh, he will be fruitfully laboring for the Lord. He will be advancing the gospel. He will see lives changed. He will see marriages restored. He will see prodigal children come home. That's the the fruitful labor of remaining here. But he is hard-pressed because he knows to depart from the body and, and to be present with the Lord is far better. I mean, we can't really argue that. But these two references actually show us that the Apostle Paul is making reference to that intermediate state between between a Christian's death and the resurrection of all believers on the day of Christ's returns. Paul expects that when we depart from this body, we will be where? At home with the Lord. To be at home with the Lord. Now, if you were to turn to Luke chapter 16, and after I read this story, I will reference very briefly Matthew 17, and then I will bring all of this into perspective of why it's important for you and me. Why are we talking about why, when we die, while we're still alive? So Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus says this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. Anybody ever feasted sumptuously? Just raise your hand. Yep, I did yesterday. I had two large turtle glaciers from Dairy Queen, two separate trips all the way to Bismarck and back, and it was great, and I feasted sumptuously. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being in what? Torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, had many sons. Wait, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish 
in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if any, but if someone goes to tell them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So if you know the Bible in order, if you know the timeline of the Bible, you know that Abraham came a long time before Christ, right? Father Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, and Jesus comes on the scene thousands of years later, and here we are, Jesus is telling a story. People debate and argue whether this is a parable or this is a story that actually happened. We don't know definitively, but either way, there's something we can learn from it. What we do know is that Father Abraham is not suffering, right? Father Abraham is in a place of comfort, and the poor man named Lazarus, after he dies, is taken into a place of comfort. Then the rich man, who was also dead, was in a place of torment. So what this tells us is two things. Actually, we can, I mean, there's a lot we can take from it, but we do see a couple of things. And one of the other questions that was posed was, what happens to people that die before Christ? Because Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. However, there are going to be people in heaven that preceded the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So how do they get there? Well, they got there by their obedience to God's law, his commands, and walking in step with him. By sacrificing as he commanded, by tithing as he commanded, by walking in obedience to his commands and to his law, and they were in right state with him. Then Jesus comes and he dies for all of us so that we don't have to go through the same sacrificial process where every week or every month or every year we make these sacrifices. But we also see that there is a chasm that separates the two places, which will then discredit any kind of teaching about a purgatory sentence or about a second chance that people may get once they die. What we have to understand is once we die, it is final. Wherever we are in our faith or in our relationship with Christ or in our rejection of him, when we die, that's it. So whenever you and I will breathe our last breath, we will be sentenced to one of two places, in a place of comfort and joy and peace or into a place of torment and pain and sorrow. And then if I could just reference very quickly Matthew chapter 17, you will read about the mountain of transfiguration in which Christ was transfigured figure. If you remember the story, Jesus takes three disciples. He takes James and John and Peter, and they go up the mountainside. And do you remember the story who appears to Jesus when he's on the mountainside? Anybody know? Moses and Elijah. Now, if you remember the timeline here of the Bible, you remember that Moses and Elijah came a long time before Jesus, right? So what this 
tells me this also debunks the theory of us being asleep because these two men were there ministering to Jesus. And Peter actually asked Jesus, he's like, hey, I can make a camp for all of us. We can all just kind of camp out right here. I'll make tents for them in a place and we can all just stay right here because he was so transfixed on Christ and these two powerful men of God that came before him who were there alive and visible and teaching and ministering and just comforting Jesus because he's about to go into what we know the, the great triumphant entry and then he's going to be pressed for our trans, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. But Peter sees these two men who long preceded him and they were alive and they were talking now, why is all of this important? Why does all of this even matter? I mean, we're reading about references to death, yet while we still feel alive. Because all of us have to be sure of where we will go when that time comes. We also can use these references and this encouragement to comfort us when we lose someone who is a believer. <laughs> To we, so that we know they are no longer suffering, they are no longer in pain, that they can truly be comforted in that very moment, that they can be into the presence of Christ forever. So whenever you and I lose someone that we love dearly, but they are a genuine follower of Christ, we can be comforted to know that they are being comforted. And that one of these days, we can also use these references and use these illustrations and use these words to comfort us so that whenever we do breathe our last breath, we can be comforted by the Lord and we can be into his presence forever. Now, these also do break our hearts whenever we lose people that reject the gospel because we know that death is final, that moment is set and that if people reject the gospel of Christ and they reject the free gift of eternal life in Jesus, then they will be separated from him forever, period. So it's all important because you and I, as I mentioned earlier, the last statistic showed that the death rate of humanity is one in one, which means 100% of us will breathe our last breath. So the question I would pose for you today is this, are you ready? Are you ready? If you were to die tonight, are you ready? See, I have yet to meet anyone that has been given a date and time in which they will breathe their last breath. I have seen it far too often. Things happen in life, tragedies come, and people pass long before we expect, right? Anybody ever seen that? Anybody ever experienced it? So it would be really nice if God were to send me an email or a text and say, hey, you have until this time, but I don't. Wouldn't it be nice if you knew the exact day or moment that you would die, that I would die? The reality is we don't. The harsher reality is that we will all stand before him one day. We will all be judged one day, and then we will dwell in one of two places. We will either be comforted and full of joy and life in his presence, or we will be cast away forever and ever in a place of torment in which, do you remember the story? The rich man is pleading with Father Abraham, just let him dip his finger in water and just cool my tongue because of how painful and how sorrowful he was. 
So the question I pose today is this, are you ready? We can read these texts and we can debate more and we can discuss, well, I think it's going to look like. No one really knows until we get there. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I promise you this, you will see something when that time comes. And I plead with you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have yet to surrender yourself to him, if you continue to just live in rejection and, and just continue to reject the free gift, if God has been drawing you to, your, to himself and you just continue to numb those convictions and those promptings and you can just continue to live life however you want, just doing things on your way and by your word and building your name, then I plead with you to repent. I am here, and as of right now, I know that I am alive, but this dead, rich man is pleading with Abraham to go and to warn his brothers because he is pleading with Abraham to go and minister to them so that they would repent and come to be in Christ. So I plead with you, if you are here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would do so before you run out of time. Because the reality is all of us are going to be in this position. Now, if you are here and you are a born again believer and you are someone that walks in, in relationship with the Lord, here's what we do. We do not just passively live our lives going day to day, knowing that, okay, one of these days I'm going to be comforted and I'm going to be in his presence. This isn't an excuse to live a passive life and, and, just kind of hold everything to ourselves and not bear fruit for his name. This should give us confidence and courage to go and to preach the gospel and to prepare other people for the time in which they too will be before him. So I know confidently, I am confident in this, that one of these days I will stand before him. And because of me putting my faith and trust solely in Christ, I am confident that I will stand before him and to be welcomed home into his presence. I'm confident of it. So if you are confident of it, if you have truly surrendered yourself to Christ and you are a born-again believer and follower of Jesus, you don't have to walk around in fear. You don't have to be afraid of dying because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To know that if I am here, I might be fruitful in my labor and I might enjoy the life here, but guess what? It is far better to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So I can live courageously and confidently knowing that whether you reject me or not, whether you respond to the gospel message or not, I'm going to be welcomed home one day. That's all I care about. I mean, I want you to be there too, but I have to first and foremost be sure that I am confident in the place in which I will dwell forever. Are you? Are you confident in the place you will dwell forever? The choice is up to you to respond to his drawing and to his conviction and to his prompting to surrender yourself to him or to just reject him and be in this position in which you are pleading with just a drip of water to cool and to satisfy your thirst. So today I just want to ask you again, are you ready? Are you ready? And if you are not ready, I plead with you Because you do not know that tomorrow is a guarantee. You do not know what will happen on your way home from church. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to make you live in fear. Or, you know, maybe if you don't drive the speed limit, you should start doing that and start obeying the law. But 
I am not trying to scare you by any means. But I've lived long enough and people in this room have lived long enough to know that tomorrow is never guaranteed. But an eternal sentence coming from our ultimate judge is. So I plead with you today, if you have rejected the invitation of the Lord to surrender yourself to him, I would want nothing better than for you if that is you, to surrender yourself to him, to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth, to repent of your sin and to be immersed and baptized in his name, to be empowered by the spirit of God and to walk in step with him, to know that it's not just for the next 30, 50, 60 years here, but it, it is literally forever. Because if you choose not to, you will plead and just desire for all of eternity to literally just receive a drip of water to satisfy your thirst. Let's pray.